I guess I'm like a, a chameleon. I, I'm, I'm whatever color I need to be at that moment to blend in, get the job done and go on. So just call me Jacqueline. Okay. If nothing else, I'll just call you uh, the creative chameleon. <laughs> oh, I like it. I like it very much. Welcome to Creative Ops, a podcast for creative people. I don't know if it really falls under the parameter of creative ops and the stuff that we normally talk about, but I do want to know how <laughs> you got involved as a intimacy court. Was it intimacy coordinator? <laughs> yes. Okay. So on the, on the podcast, I think Roy was describing it as you're the one on set when there's a, a romantic scene and you got to be watching to make sure that the dude doesn't get too excited and that if he does, that everybody can be adult and resolve it without any problems or is this a uh, uh, kind of wrong description no that that's actually it but it's also that the woman doesn't get too excited because i mean women, well yeah, men, some of those dudes out there are pretty hot too yeah, yeah absolutely absolutely yeah. i was actually on a set ooh earlier this year and there was an intimate scene and the wardrobe department did not have the correct underwear Ooh. for the actress because the camera needed to travel up her leg. However, there needed to be a certain type of underwear so it could travel up her leg. And you also didn't see her, as we like to call it now, Choco Taco. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yes. Well. <laughs> uh, sorry, I was just thinking about the last episode that I listened to was, she ain't showing her sh Choco Taco. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. That's what we call it now. You're yeah. Choco Taco. So the wardrobe department didn't have the correct underwear. We were crunched for time. The director wanted this particular shot. It was just a lot going on. And so I went to the director and I said to him, I was like, hi, wardrobe does not have the correct underwear for us to do this appropriately. Well, the actress heard me say that. She said, I don't care. The underwear she had on, she literally took them off and threw them across the room. I said, okay, 
I said, so we're still going to shoot this and we're going to lay a piece of her clothing over so we can travel the camera up her leg because... While maintaining that professional distance that looks Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And she was like, yes, Yes, I'm I'm comfortable comfortable with with that. that. And I said, okay. As long as she was comfortable. And she was. So to answer your question of how I became an intimacy coordinator, when you said that, it just took me back to that moment because it was just, (laughs) she flung her underwear across the room. Oh, I got this. (laughs) And, And during those particular scenes, the only person that's in there are the actors. So two actors at that time, the uh-huh. director, myself, camera, sound. There were only six people in there. Yeah. So no one else knows that she just, well, I guess they know now because they're listening to your podcast, but they don't know. <laughs> that she just. What's her name in IMDb page? We'll get her information out there for everybody. I know, right? I know, right? You have to choose on my IMDb page which one it is, but it was just so funny. So yeah. what actually got me to become an intimacy coordinator is I was working on a film in Mississippi. This one was actually with Bruce Willis. Mm-hmm. There was a scene in there where there were three dancers and exotic dancers one of them didn't show up that day so we went down to two i remember very minute details i don't know why but um so we went down to two well we also had a minor on set at that particular time and i was sitting at my desk i was the production coordinator for that film and i was sitting at my desk and something in my gut told me to go find this 16, 17 year old. I can't remember how old he was at that time, oh, sure. but he was a minor. Uh-huh. And it was and a boy. I, That's an important note too. Absolutely. Yes. Not that, not that girls don't get into trouble like that, but a boy you would kind of absolutely. anticipate it more from. Absolutely. I don't know why, but something in my gut, like, like if your kids get too quiet, yeah. you're like, wait a minute, something's happening here. Yep. <laughs> So I popped up out of my chair. I literally popped up out of my chair and started running down the hall to get to set. And when I ran down the hall, I just grabbed his little self by his shirt tail. (laughs) (laughs) A producer saw me and he said, you're our intimacy coordinator. And I said, what's an intimacy coordinator? (laughs) And there you go. Uh You're familiar with how male anatomy works. Well, (laughs) we don't want it to do all of it. Uh. Absolutely. Absolutely. (laughs) So it was just an accident. I kid you not. And what I want to do at the top of the year, when there is availability and space in a class, I want to get certified to do it as well. Certified to be an intimacy coordinator? Absolutely. It's a real thing. Huh. I didn't realize that. I mean, I'm sure like anything else, there's, there's things you need to know. But yeah, I just wouldn't have ever thought of that as intimacy coordinator certification yeah absolutely i want to do it i tried to get i'm from the midwest too so you know oh no no worries (laughs) (laughs) i tried to get into classes earlier this year but they were all closed yeah just closed so i'm on a waiting list yeah huh yeah sorry that just blew my mind a little bit there's so many opportunities out there for people which, uh, you know, you'll know if you listen to Roy's job fair. <laughs> That's very true. As a writer, because that's, you know, very near and dear to my heart, what uh, what are some of the things that you've done as uh, your writing credits? Oh, absolutely. So you can actually, it's called the National Wildlife Magazine. I have an article, I have a byline with them. I have an article in there now. I wrote about a beautiful farm that is in Alabama. It's been owned by the same family for four generations. It's called the Joe Farm. And I wrote an article for the National Wildlife Magazine about that. I've also written for them about birds and nature. I'm a big conservationist. Yeah. I have a byline in, oh, it's one of the oldest African-American newspapers that's still being printed. Why am I blinking 
on the name, but I, I've had multiple articles in there. Where else? Oh my gosh, I promise you it's such a passion. I can't even think about where else I've written and things are published because I just enjoy it so much. Yeah. I'll also say this, but I can only say a little because I have so many non-disclosure agreements. I've done a lot of ghost writings for people who testify before Congress. <gasps> Man, what is it? What is it like when you sit down with somebody like that? Or can they just like not wait to talk about it, or are they like looking all around, making sure they're not mic'd somewhere? You know, it's all about relationships. Yeah. So I've usually met these people in advance. It's not like, <clears throat> excuse me, it's not like they just call me today. Yeah. And we're just meeting today. Right. No, I've probably known them for five, seven years. Or I know someone close to them who okay. says, okay, she's a straight shooter. Yeah, Just yeah, tell yeah. her what you need. She'll get it done. So that's the most important thing. And you know this. Like an old school weed deal. He's cool, man. He's cool. Yes, yeah, absolutely. Let, yeah. Let, it's cool. Let him in the house. He's cool. <laughs> yeah. She's not a cop. She's not a cop. I promise. So yes, the relationships matter. So doing that, usually it's with a CEO or some large, important person who has to get a lot done, but they only have so much bandwidth. You yeah. sign that non-disclosure agreement. I tell them just start to babble and I record it. Tell me what you want to say and then let me craft it so that it's crafted in a way that's your tone. It's also your thoughts. You just don't have time to sit down and write it. Is it weird to work really hard on something, be proud of it, and then just be like, <laughs> no, 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 not for me, not for me, because not on any level, not not one party wants to go, oh, it's so good, I did that. No, because the check is good, Chris. I, mean, <laughs> <laughs> I don't care about that. <laughs> okay, so you can you can separate your uh, you can separate personal and professional uh, writing. Oh, absolutely. Writing and then one time, my mother called me. She said, you wrote that. And I was like, how do you know I wrote that? She said, I know you wrote that. I said, Ma, I can't tell you I did. I can't tell you I didn't. And I just left it at that with her. Does it, she she recognized it because they say, uh, you said, okay, and go ahead a lot in there. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. That was just, that's the last time I'm going to drop my little fandom in here. Okay. No, no, no. It's perfectly fine. I think it's so funny. I, I never even knew I said that, but I do say it now that people have pointed it out to me. Now, when I say it, I'm like, oh, I do say that a lot, but it's a warning and people yeah. don't get that. It's a warning. It's like, okay, yeah. go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> well, from a very bare bones writing craft style thing when i write i don't know can you see me right now absolutely okay i always write on these absolutely and then i'll type it out after that and i'll fix things while i'm typing or then i'll print it out after i've typed it and i know that that's probably the most difficult way to self-impose <laughs> look up <laughs> there you go <laughs> that's that's probably the most difficult way to to write at least writing a novel something really long but what's uh <clears throat> What's your way that you like to write? Are you a by hand kind of kind of lady or are you a straight to the computer with it? I'm straight to the computer. I want to get everything out of my head. I don't care about punctuation when I start. I don't care if it doesn't make sense, even if I'm just doing bullets. Yeah. I just need to get everything out of my head. Just trust that it's in there for a reason. Let it Yes, yeah. absolutely. And even if it doesn't make it, I just want to get it out of my head. Yes. And then even if I put it into bullet format, I want to know who I want to talk to about it, where I want to research more. Also, what's the opposite side of that coin? Because I don't believe that there's only one story. Hmm. There's always another side to any story. Even your, if my nephew Your side, my up. side, and the truth, right? Absolutely. Your yeah. side, my side, and the truth. That's exactly what I mean. So that's my thought pattern. And also, I am over 40. So in my mind, I have this Reagan thing going on. Trust mm -hmm. but verify. So that's what's going on with me. That's where I start from a bare bones standpoint. Trust Just but verify. Throw it. I like that. That, yes. should be a that should be a tattoo. Trust but verify. Absolutely. And let's hope they spell it correctly. <laughs> <laughs>
So that's my bare bones approach. Just get it out of my head, what I know about it so far and what interests me in whatever that topic is so far. And then I'm also going to look at it from a lens of who really likes the subject and who doesn't like the subject. Oh, I overwrite for every article and everything that I have or I'm contracted for. I, I, I'm a very heavy writer. So if you ask me for 500 words, that hurts. Uh, yeah. I'm like, I can't even spell my name in 500 words. Are you crazy? Yeah, yeah. In middle school, I would have been slapping myself in the head like, how am I going to get 500 words? But yeah, now as practiced as I am, I, <laughs> I can't keep anything under 10 pages. I know. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> same. Same. And every Absolutely. time I try to edit, it gets longer. Yeah, I know. <laughs> same problem i yeah. have that exact problem if i start to edit it gets longer i'm like now it's 15 pages how did we get here yeah i'm gonna try to cut 200 pages i just made it 800 pages 800 <laughs> words longer 200 pages 200 words yes yes Dear Lord, I knew I, what you meant. hopefully oh. i never have to work on anything where i have to cut 200 pages <laughs> oh my gosh uh, although stephen king famously had to do that with the stand they made him cut like i think three or four hundred pages out of it Oh my gosh. The completely uncut version that he was able to put out later is like 1,200 pages. And I think the original was like eight or 900. Oh my goodness. Yeah. It's like, where do you draw the line? And that's why I think editors are so important. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people have walked away from editors because there are people like us who can't stop writing. And you need someone <laughs> who's strong enough to tell you, enough yeah stop <laughs> yeah i was i'm fortunate enough that i have other writers that help me with my stuff they'll they'll read it and they'll say this didn't make sense or you don't really need this part or whatever and you know so i got a little uh kind of like a little workshop group i guess unofficially absolutely my writing um person who does that for me and i do that for him his name is joseph bryant he used to work for a newspaper and so we both read each other's pieces because yeah. you need that fresh eye. Because after a period of time, I start reading what I want to see. Yeah. 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 For sure. For sure. Yeah. That's uh, and you can read out loud to yourself, but even then you'll, you'll Correct. miss the redundant word or you'll have something spelled wrong, but you'll know what you want it to be. And it's, the same letter in the beginning and the end, and you, you just go right through it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Do you prefer Jacqueline or do your friends call you JG? I know the guys on the show go back and forth on it. You know what? I am so glad you asked that question. I actually like my name as Jacqueline okay. or JG. JG actually came out of Roy's head uh -huh. and it just kind of stuck. But in professional circles, I prefer Jacqueline, but JG okay. is perfectly fine. Feel free to call me that as well. Okay. I'm, I might because if I don't, I might accidentally... <laughs> I might accidentally call you Joanne because there's a woman that I used to work with when I was first out of school, uh, yes. first out of high school. Her name was Joanne and everyone called her JG. Yes. I called her that. I don't know if everyone else, everyone else called her Joanne. I worked in a construction company and she was like the forward facing person to all the construction folks. And some of those guys were rough around the edges and didn't want to deal with the woman. And she would let them know very directly. And I see a lot of those same qualities in YouTube. You're on a podcast with some comedians who are, you know, kind of rough around the edges and you're not a comedian, you're a female. So you kind of bring a different energy in a way that is positive and also commands respect without being, you know, pushy or anything like that. Oh, well, thank you for saying that. I don't know if the guys would necessarily agree with you <laughs> about me not being necessarily pushy. But what I always tell them is, and I, I think I've said it on air, I don't know if it's ever made air, but I always tell them they think stern equals mean. 
It, it's not. <laughs> I yeah. just know that we have lawyers who are going to listen to this podcast prior to it airing and they're going to say <laughs> yay or nay. So I yeah. kind of just, you know, throw that yellow flag out there, if you will, to say, do you really want to keep going down this rabbit hole? Because you just never know what the attorneys are going to tell you to cut or that we have to cover or we have to change. Bruh that we leave so much on the floor. Because for me, it's really just having a conversation with them. And I think it's the same for them as well. Mm -hmm. We're really just having a conversation and it ends up being buttoned down into a podcast. Yeah, and a very good podcast too. I, uh, oh, I've i been posting regularly, well, semi-regularly, like, hey, this is a really good podcast. Just because, you know, if anybody cares what I'm listening to, I want them to know. Um, and then somehow that turned into you guys seeing a tweet that I put out one time. And then you were so kind to be on the show. Thank you, by the way, for putting out the podcast and doing all that. And then also responding to a much lesser known podcast like mine. Oh, whatever. We are gracious that anyone listens to us ramble on and on <laughs> about jobs and the things that interest us. And also we have that specific caveat of ensuring that we help other people. Mm. Roy doesn't like it when I say it, but he's like the super sweet person. <laughs> he is so very nice. So he's always mindful of asking the question, no matter how big, how small the project is. Are we helping anyone? And again, that's what's always drawn me to working with him is that he's always looking for that caveat of helping someone. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I love that. And I, I think that's probably why the podcast uh, rings so true to me. And, you know, the same thing with my podcast. If I can get somebody to that listens to me follow somebody else that they didn't know about before, I feel like you know, that's that's more important than however many downloads you get is, you know, how much are you sharing and how much are you bringing people into the fold on things? Absolutely. And I listened to your last episode prior to the summer break and oh, you okay. were so kind. You sent someone a book <laughs> and you forgot to sign it. And yeah. I just thought that was so interesting that you shared that in this world of IG hype and mm. Twitter this and that where everyone and everything has to be perfect. I enjoy and appreciate, if you will, the flaws. Yeah. I, I don't want anyone to believe that the world is perfect. I didn't wake up like that. That's why I'm not on camera right now. <laughs> <laughs> my hair is all over my head and it is what it is because, I mean, I've been up since 545 Eastern you know, tackling emails, answering, answering questions, writing, you know, doing the things that we do as creatives. And I know we're going to talk about that more, that mm -hmm. label itself, creatives. But, you know, I appreciated that. And that was one of the reasons why I immediately said yes, because when people try to present themselves to me or to our team as perfect, that's a red flag for me. No yeah. one's perfect. Yeah. No one. I've no. never been a you know, posing in uh, somebody else's Ferrari or yes. bragging about making it sound like my podcast is way bigger than it is or that I've sold more books than I have. You know, hey, it is what it is. We're all in it together. And, uh, you know, let's let's help each other out and see if we can be entertained at the same time. Absolutely. <laughs> Again, it goes back to helping others. And you yeah. said that. And I know I am the female energy that you talked about. Yes, <laughs> I am that kind and loving person. I guess I can call myself those things. But I do totally believe that. I was listening. I uh, can't remember which episode it was. They were like, oh, yeah, you know, just so you know, JJ, we've got uh, two text threads, one for all the conscious yes. shit and the other one that you're on. Yes. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Uh, so, you know, it's but that's all out of respect. I feel like there's a lot of like um, brother sister energy. They give you a hard time. But then at the same time, they're like, but seriously, this is a, a great woman. If anybody hurts her, we'll kill you. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And it's vice versa, because I don't play. It's a TikTok song that I'm totally <laughs> in agreement with them. I don't play about yeah. those guys at all. They are important. They are caring. They are family people. And I just appreciate that about them. Now, are they crazy? Absolutely. 
Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) And it's so funny to me to actually sit down and chat with them each week. Because again, like I said, to me, it's just a conversation each time we get to chat. radar is from being on the podcast with Roy. I heard in the show, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, that you guys were working on a TV project together and that's how you met? Yes, absolutely. Roy was working on a pilot for a television show. He brought it home to his hometown. I actually pay my taxes in that particular hometown, which is Uh Birmingham, Alabama. So that's where my base is. And... But I'm all over the country. Crazy thing. But anyway, so he brought that show to Birmingham, Alabama, again, in a effort to help people who want to be in the entertainment industry learn from the process of putting together a pilot. It was a big deal. And so the pilot was being, you know, put together. They started hiring people or whatever. I am a college professor. I teach in the communications industry and in particular media law and all of those kind of courses and also marketing, so on and so forth. Well, my plan was to have my students go work on this pilot, many of them as PAs, so on and so forth, whatever. I opened this door for them. Now, I didn't know Roy at that time. Mm. But I opened that door for them through a series of conversations with people who could actually get my students hired to come work on the pilot. Mm. One small problem. Not one student went to work on the pilot. Uh. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I have no clue why they didn't go work on the pilot. I, I don't know. Was they, there extra they, credit involved? Every, they could have anything they wanted. There was, they were going to be paid to go work on the pilot. I don't know why they didn't go work on the pilot. I think it was such a blow to me that I stuffed it into my subconscious so that I never had to think about it again. <laughs> Until today. So I felt, yes, yeah, so I felt so Sorry. bad about it. That I said, you know what? I'm going to go PA in this office Hmm. for this pilot. I mean, that's straight grunt work, but that would make me feel better. Almost like a penance. Again, I'm that person. (laughs) Hey, I'm sorry. I told you people would be here. I'm here. Yeah, Yeah, I'm here. Let me help you. So they hired me as a PA for the office. Those first three days or so, grunt work. I mean, we were moving furniture. We were getting coffee. You know all the things that a PA does. Sure. Around that third or fourth day, I don't exactly know how it happened, but Ian, Ian was my boss and it was so funny. Ian was looking at a contract and I think I was standing there next to him and I said, oh, there's a glaring issue in that contract. And he said, what do you mean? And so we drilled down or whatever. And he said, what kind of PA are you when you are cleaning up contracts? I said, oh, I also teach media law on a collegiate level. He was like, oh, my gosh. So that day four of me being a PA, I literally went straight into contracts, start working on Taft Hartley's, any kind of real major paperwork. That's where I got involved. So to answer your question, though, and I promise I'm getting there, (laughs) I still had my PA work of picking up everyone's lunch. Well, Roy's lunch was included in that. And anyone above the line, their lunch order could be over the eight to $13 limit. So what I noticed about Roy was he just ate junk like pizza. He's going to kill me. It's so true. But pizza and fries and whatnot. What you think of when you think of a professional comedian, just eating whatever's there. Yeah. Yeah, whatever. So like when I put out the lunch menus, you just check off junk. Like I'd like a, a sausage pizza fries, and uh, oatmeal pie. That is such junk. So in my mind, I'm like, well, this man needs something green in his life. So I put a salad on his desk one day, along with that pizza, fries, or whatever. 
These were the first words he ever said that were directed at me. He came out of his office. It wasn't a mean tone, but he just said, who in the hell hell put a salad on my my desk? And everybody just died laughing. (laughs) They just died laughing. Well, I was not laughing. And I said, I put a salad on your desk because you need roughage. And he just turned around and went back in his office. And we've been working together ever since. (laughs) There you go. It's a long way to answer your question, but that's how I met him. That's how I started working with him. And here we are. Yeah, especially in a... A position like that, somebody is like, hey, I'm making things happen on a TV level. A lot of people probably just like, yeah, whatever you want. Uh-huh. Yeah. And I was like, no, you need some roughage in your life. Now, I will tell you what happened. He didn't eat the salad. I ended up taking those salads home. <laughs> he didn't. <laughs> I ended up taking those salads home every night, but it was a thought that counted. I, at yeah. least I thought. I thought for a second maybe you were going to be like, when you said, I got you that salad, that he was just going to look you straight in the eye as he dumped it all in the trash. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> Your introduction into entertainment and media like with the the hands-on part of it not just the the law side of things pretty much happened kind of like that at least in terms of how most people get into this business no absolutely it was a total accident and as my dad likes to say it's it's actually actually, it was was a set up for you actually to go in and and do it because again if my students would have shown up i would have never done that i would have just been on the sidelines rooting for them saying, hey, call me if you have a question or a concern or you don't know jargon or whatever. But with them not showing up, I went into the fray and here we are. And prior to that, was was your long-term plan or at least, you know, five-year plan, whatever, just cruising it out on the academic scene or? Oh, oh, Chris, I don't know what I'm doing now. (laughs) (laughs) I have no clue exactly where I want to land overall. I'm enjoying just working in the spaces where there's space for me to be creative, if you will. There's space for me to ask and find those curiosities. I'm a perpetual learner, if you Mm. will. If I'm not learning, I'm so bored. Yeah. I know that sounds weird because I'm always starting again at the bottom of something and then working my way up. But no, my transitions and my pivots have gone from television news. So I was a journalist and I'm still a recovering journalist. Yeah. Yeah. Before you get to that part, yes, please. let's let's start with what was your direction in school? Because if you taught in college, you had at least a master's degree or a doctorate? My master's degree. That's correct. I have a master's okay. in communications management with a specialty in nonverbal. And what did you think you were going to do with that? Or did you just go into that at the time going? Sounds interesting. We'll see what happens. The latter. Sounds interesting. <laughs> Let's see what happens. I have just been on this journey of self-discovery. I'm very fortunate because a lot of people don't get to have that opportunity. If mm. something catches my interest, I go in that direction. Do you always have somebody that kind of told you, you know, follow your own star or... Has that just been in you much to other people's dismay sometimes? You know, actually, I had the best of both worlds with my parents. Hmm. My dad is military, straight laced, retired accountant. (laughs) My mother is, let's put a beach towel towel out and look look at the the stars at night. night. We'll count as as many many as we can. can. (laughs) If that's not a conflict. I don't know what it is. So I've had the best of both worlds. And my dad, in his mind, he's like, go get a corporate job, work for 40 years, retire comfortably, be happy. My mother, does that make you happy? I don't think it does. Well, stop doing it. Go find what makes you happy. That's so funny. I just posted a meme the other day, yesterday or today, that was your career is the stepping stone to a job your father will actually respect or something oh. like that. <laughs> yes, I get it. I totally get that. Yeah, because I, I, 
I also have a, a military background. I just did one enlistment. I didn't do a, a long time in the military, but uh, I went out from that to then teaching and then nice. having too many kids to stay working all the time. And then I started writing and then the po- a pandemic happened and I started this podcast, I think I like two weeks before lockdown. Yes. And then it grew out of that. But Wait a uh, How many kids is too many kids? Oh man. If you're asking me in hindsight, one, but I have... <laughs> <laughs> but I have four. Oh my gosh. That yeah. is absolutely a drop in the bucket. My mother is mm-hmm. one of 14 children. Who? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. She wins. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> my wife is one of six. And nice. I thought that was a lot, but yeah, that's who 14. Did you say 14? Yes. One of 14. Bruh. Where was she in the birth order? She's smack in the middle. She's either seven okay. or eight. I can't remember which one, but she's okay. either seven or eight smack in the middle. And I just remember as a child on Sundays when all of my parents, excuse me, not my parents, but all of my aunts and whatnot still lived in the same state. Yeah. We'd get together. And when everyone would come over to our house on Mondays, my friends would say things like, why did you have a party? And you didn't invite anyone. I didn't have a party. That's my family. It's just a bunch of us. So Parked all around the block. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> Up and down the street, both sides, around the corner. It's just ridiculous. Did you ever have... A solid idea of like, I definitely want to do this, or did you always have just kind of a draw towards media in general, or has everything just kind of been like a a happy accident where uh, Taoism is the idea of moving like water, just flowing through life without resistance? Mm -hmm. And it sounds like you've kind of mastered that. Well, I don't know about mastered it, but it has been a mixture of both. I set out to be a news producer. I went in in my early 20s. That's where you kind of got your start early 20s during college, before college, after college? Both. During college, I was a news producer, an associate news producer in a newsroom while I was still a junior and Mm. senior in college. But I cut my teeth in a newsroom where there was real yelling and, you know, and we're still trying to figure it out. And from there, I actually got a call. We had a hurricane. I'll never forget it. It was called Hurricane Ivan. I was in that. Were you really? I was in Pensacola. Yes. So you know Hurricane Ivan. Yeah, I was in a I was in an elementary school for a shelter that was just a few miles inland, yes. and we just slept in like eight inches of water that night. Absolutely, we were working in a newsroom at that particular time. We knew Ivan was coming, and they went ahead and pulled us in. So we stayed at the television station for like three days. I was doing the six a.m. newscast when we also just started losing, not necessarily power because we had a generator, but that generator was only keeping us on the air. Yeah. So we couldn't print scripts. We couldn't get the anchors, all the things that they needed. Mm. So the anchor who was on the air, I was feeding them information, both of them, and they kept calling my name on air. They were like, <laughs> okay, Jacqueline, where are we going next? What are we doing now? So on and so forth. When I walked out of the booth that day, my news director said, excellent job. And I was just like, lady, I'm so tired. I don't care. Yeah. And then so a guy screamed you're, across You're the being room. the live ticker for the news? Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> I'm like, lady, I can barely talk anymore. I've been talking for so long. They didn't have prompter. They didn't have paper. They were just like, what do you want us to talk about? And I was literally going through it show by show, just giving, well, excuse me, story by story, giving them the slug line. And then just saying, you know, this, that, or the other. So we got through an hours long newscast like that. We couldn't go to commercial break. It was crazy, whatever. So they just kept saying, Jacqueline, where are we going next? Jacqueline, where are we going next? And like I said, I came out of the booth and the news director told me, good job, Yvette. I'll never forget her. And then a guy screams across the newsroom, telephone, Jacqueline. So I pick it up and I say, NBC 13. And it was the president of that time of the local city council. Mm. She said who she was, whatever, whatever. She said, if you could handle what I just saw on air, 
you would be great in politics. Mm. And I was like, uh-huh, yeah, yeah, lady, and just hung the phone up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, especially in the middle of her. There was that, that was, for people, a lot of people only remember Katrina because it came like so back to back almost. But Hurricane Ivan was no joke, especially if you were in the panhandle area. There was, yes. bridges were out. There was no power for a long time. We were just living on bottled water and peanut butter in the Navy. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. We had to actually canoe some of our reporters into areas. Oh, yeah, because, for sure. Yeah. It was so bad. And that was inland in um, Birmingham, Alabama. Mm. It was crazy. It was crazy. So after I hung up on that president of the council, <laughs> <laughs> so embarrassing. She called back and she was like, no, I really am the president of the council. And I'd love for you to come down here and consider working with us. And I was like, well, give me a couple of days. We're kind of in the middle of a hurricane. <laughs> and um, I'd love to come and sit down and talk to you about it. So I did that. I went and I sat down and I talked to her about it. She hired me on the spot. I said, ma'am, I still work in a newsroom. I just can't leave the newsroom like that. So she gave me a month and a half and I put in my two weeks notice. And then because I was working on specials, I'm, I'm, what do you call it? Like you, I grew up in a military household. You have military experience, if you will. I can't just leave my projects, you know, so yeah. I had to put a bunch of things in order and whatnot. And then I took the job at the top of the year and I went into politics. Man. <laughs> Being in the right place at the right time and just being a nose to the grindstone, get stuff done, don't mince words kind of person seems like it's gotten you pretty far. Yes. If you give me what the mission is, it, it just takes me back to my dad. He's just like, okay, the mission is for us to travel to Cleveland, Ohio with X number of bathroom breaks. And we've got to get to your grandparents. We don't want to stop everywhere. And of course, my mother's like, oh, there's a peach park. Let's stop there. <laughs> it took us so long to get to Cleveland every year forever. <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> gonna, I just want to make sure I keep, keep things going here. Absolutely. Um, we started in... So it, it started in television. I went to politics. While I was in politics, that's when I got into academia. I was working for government or whatnot, and I kept running into all of these leaders of universities and colleges and whatnot. Mm. And they would just say, would you come over and lecture in whatever area you'd like every now and then? <laughs> I walk, it's, like, yeah. it's like the dream job. Hey, will you just come talk? Yes, absolutely. And I can talk yeah. forever. And I went and I walked into a classroom one day and it was just electric. Yeah. There were all of these little minds in there and they were hungry and they had all of these questions and I just never looked back. I didn't leave politics, if you will. Mm. I also worked in politics and then I also talked. And then one day, oh, we were five mayors in, and at the end of each mayoral term or whatever, they mm -hmm. give you that pink slip that says, we're going to let you go, and then you can come back. Yeah. I got that pink slip, and I was happy. I was happy. And I thought I was going to spend a year actually just teaching. However, I went into conservation. And it just, yeah. I started working for a global conservation organization. They called me. They said, we ran into you multiple times at City Hall. And we were just curious because we heard you're no longer there if you had a job. And I was like, no, I'm going to redo my kitchen. <laughs> <laughs> and so they actually made me an offer that I couldn't refuse. And a month later, I was working. For a global conservation organization. So, yes, it's been a happy occurrence, if you will. How close are we to the present at that point? Once I worked at the global conservation organization, mm. I did marketing for them. Then where did I go? I think I worked for them about four and a half years. Then I decided I wanted to run for 
office <laughs> and I did. Really? Yeah. I did. I did. And I'm I guessing did. by the way that you left that you didn't win, but how did that go? I actually came into the race when it was between two guys. They would have made a good person for the seat. And one of them actually did win it. Mm-hmm. However, at that time, it was just like two bulls tussling. And I was like, yeah. this is not going to do anything for anyone. Hello, I'll run for the office. Yeah. So I jumped into the race. I actually made it into a runoff. And this was the interesting thing. And it's a true thing about politics. Mm-hmm. You have to decide if you're going to do it correctly or you're going to do it the way that you're in someone else's pocket. That's the best way I can put it. Sure. Of course, me being me, I wanted to do it the correct way. The give Roy a salad lady. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. So I wanted to do it the correct way. I did not win that particular race. That was perfectly fine. I went on from there. I think I worked retail for maybe a year or so because I wanted to stay under the radar because I was Mm. working retail and I was also teaching because I'm very fortunate again, but corporate jobs just kind of find themselves at my doorstep. Oh, can can I interrupt you real quick? Please. At this point in time in your life, how many yes. times have you been proposed to? Because again, as a longtime <laughs> listener of the podcast, I know that it just kind of happens to you sometimes. Yes, it as does. Much as, as often as people offer you jobs, they're like, hey, by the way, you got a ring? You want one? I know. I know. Oh my gosh. No, no, no. That makes me laugh because we were recently in New York for some kind of event. I can't remember what it was, but I was standing outside and I was waiting on Roy. And I am not kidding you, but it was so funny. Two guys passed by me at different times. And they were like, are you married, lady? And I was like, oh, my gosh. So it's so funny. And so when Roy um, walked up, I said, could you please hurry? I've been proposed to twice. And he said, I'm, I'm sure of it. And it was just so funny. <laughs> so by that time, I think, let's see, global conservation. It was probably Sorry, four times. There, but... Wow. <laughs> That's awesome. That's Nobody's ever proposed to me. How is that awesome? I mean, just to know that you've got this universal charm or pheromone or something that makes everybody go, I like you. But I guess if everybody's like, I love you and I want to be with you, maybe that would get, maybe that would get old. You are so sweet and kind. Thank you. So about four in at that time. But I've had this amazing, crazy world and experience and life. And I just enjoy each day. I kid you not. Why, why are you like this, Jacqueline? Um, <laughs> but no, you know, not insulting way of saying it. Why are you like that? Is, have you been undeniably happy for a long time? Have you just, is is it, you know, like you said, your mom's just always been like, isn't life really grand? grand and it's just rubbed off on you or what? You know, it's been a mixture of a couple of things. It's been the structure from my dad the points from my mom about being happy. And then I actually spent maybe about a year and a half clinically depressed. Mm. Yeah, clinically depressed. And I went to therapy, big yeah. fan of it. I suggest it to everyone. Yeah. And to figure out why was I clinically depressed? The lady wrote clinically on there. I said, is it not just enough to say depressed lady? <laughs> <laughs> you got to put clinically on there. And There's a note said, so you can show people so they know you're not lying. <laughs> like, okay. I know. She said, um, that way your insurance will pay for it. I said, mm. oh, okay. Nice. Good looking out. Yeah. I said, thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah. But I took that time to determine what I want to do, what I don't want to do, and what's going to make me happy and what's not going to make me happy. And I learned during that time frame that no one is responsible for your happiness other than you. Yeah. Not your mates, not your friends, not your parents, not anything that you enjoy eating, seeing, doing, or going to find. What's going to make you happy is what's on the inside. So I, that's why I'm this way. Yeah. You sound like the person who's 
taken the time to uh, try at least to be as self-aware as one person can be and, uh, you know, work on yourself, which is an attractive quality in anybody. And I'm, you know, I'm almost 40 and I'm starting to see that more in people now that, uh, you know, just once you've been through life and you've kind of hit those lows, you got to go, where, where is my happiness coming from? And you got to, you got to make it yourself, you know, like you said. Oh, absolutely. And I knew that we would have a good chemistry when I listened to the podcast and you opened up by apologizing. I'm telling you, that meant so much to me. And I also thought it was so interesting that you have so many things going on that you forgot to sign the book. I just love that. <laughs> I, forgot, I even forgot to send one to a friend of mine. Oh. And I was and I was just looking through my text messages when I was sending him a text. I was like, oh, dude, you asked me to send you a book like two weeks ago. I'm going to send that tomorrow. And then I didn't. I sent it the day after tomorrow. Oh, well, at least you got it in the mail, though. But yeah. then I have this curiosity about your book. What made you write it? Where did that come from? Ooh, well, like I just said, I'm approaching 40. I've got yes. a bunch of kids. And I think a combination of those things makes you think about your mortality. Yes. So, um. I was like, you know, I've always said I want to write a book, you know, ever since I was a, in elementary school, I was telling my mom, I want to write a book someday. Um, and so I thought, well, I'm home now with kids. I can do it while, you know, kids doing tummy time or while they're watching, watching their little show or playing with their toy. I can just try to get a page in here, page in there, write for an hour while they're taking a nap. And what came out of me was this time travel novel where kids who are 14 have to battle against their adult selves who are trying to get out of a future where like everything's just gone to hell so yes. they're trying to go back to 1996 where it's safe but they can't both be there at the same time so it's kind of this uh literal confrontation of your inner child and your adult self and what would you think of yourself and you know who who would win out in a in a in a i guess a theoretical battle between you and your <laughs> inner child but Yes, I don't know. But don't spoil it. Don't tell so, it. Don't tell yeah. it. No, I won't. I won't tell everything. But yeah, it's a time travel novel. It's got the suspense and a little bit scary, but not uh, not like gory, terrible scary. Just kind of Hitchcocky and suspense scary. Ooh, okay. Because I am currently reading Stephen King's on writing right now. That is a fantastic book. Yes. I'm oh right God. here at the point where his mother passed away mm. and he and his brother were in the room with her and she took those slow drags of the cigarette. Mm. That's exactly where I am. He's such a powerful writer. I mean, he could write anything and it would be good. It makes me sad when I had like college professors who were like, you know, Stephen King's not a real writer. I'm like, my ass. <gasps> <laughs> oh my God. I actually had enough of it. One one senior class, they're like, oh, or you could write two books a year like Stephen King. I was like, and excuse me, what's wrong with being prolific? I think if anything, Correct. we should we should be praising his efficiency and speed in which he can put out these masterpieces. Absolutely. And I think he makes a valid point. I can't remember where he said this, but he said, if you don't have time to read, you don't have time to write. Yeah. And if you don't write every day, you're just not going to make it. Correct. It, it's a waste of time. It, yeah. It's totally a waste of your time. So yes, I actually get up every morning and I don't even need an alarm clock for it, but I wake up every morning at 5.45 a.m. Central Standard Time and I just do a little jotting or I try to get at least a hundred words in. Okay. I get 500 words in because I'm a long-winded writer and you just never know where I am. You never know where those words are going to end up or be use, useful for something. Even if, if it's just a topic that's on my mind, I just want to mm -hmm. jot it down, type it out. And yeah, that thing. So yes, you're absolutely correct. You have to write every day. Let's talk specifically about writing because I love talking Ooh. about writing. Yes. What do you like to write just, you know, on your own time? What 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 was your first draw to writing? Was it poetry? Was it music? Was it uh, literary fiction? Was it, you know, whatever it was? For me, the draw to it was actually being a young child and getting books in the mail. Hmm. I got those little books in the mail that had those gold spirals on it. I can't remember the type of books they were. 
And they were just, it was fascinating to me to go out and stand by the mailbox and wait on the mailman to give me a package that had my name on it that I had to read because I had to parcel out the mail. Not that we got a lot of mail, but parcel out the mail. And I got something for me and I opened it and it had those beautiful little books in it. And I just fell in love with reading and writing right then and there. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's great. I got into it when I was little, when my grandma first put a typewriter in front of me when I was staying at her house for the weekend. Uh-huh. And she always had books out, too. So, you know, she was like, oh, if you're bored, because there was, you know, three channels on the little click knob yes. TV out in rural Michigan. Uh, so if I got bored, it was either read something or write something. Absolutely. After, yeah, after 10 minutes of being like, ugh. Okay, that's actually a good question. Then all of a sudden you start having ideas, then all of a sudden comes in and is like, hey, do you need more paper? You're like, oh, what happened? <laughs> <laughs> the time goes by. Absolutely. Yeah. In college, I read The Iliad. Mm, God love. bless you. I, I fell in love with it. It was so, it, 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 I could I could literally see it in my head. Hmm. I could literally see it. Homer's Iliad. I could literally see every part of it. And I just fell in love with it. And also, oh, I have to go back to seventh grade really quickly. Yeah. I went to an arts and magnet high school. We were required every summer to read three to five books. Oh. And so, yes, I've just always been immersed in books. I've walked yeah. into so many poles. And walls and cars <laughs> is in a book. I yeah. actually bumped into a king one time. Um, I was in Cuba. This is before they opened it up or whatever. You had to get a visa to get in there because my I was head. Was say, how did you get over there? I know, right? I went over it as an invite to professors. I went with Morgan State um, University. And we took a bunch of students over there. Again, this is before Obama opened everything up and all of that kind of stuff. And mm-hmm. so we got in. It was amazing, amazing trip. And I bumped into a king of a, a small country because my head was in a book. And his security guards almost killed me. I was going to say, hopefully it's a country that has some respect for women and women's rights. Yes, I I hope so. Whenever we went to Cuba, and I want to say it was either 2009. I don't know. I'm not going to say I remember the date. I'd have to look it up. But whenever we went, there was this delegation from different small island nations. And they came to Cuba to have their like meeting. And there were just all of these dignitaries there and they were all over the island in our hotel. And again, my head was just buried in a book and I bumped straight into this man and he was just so nice and he was very tall and he looked down at me and his security was on me Uh before I could even open my mouth. And I said, apologies, I was just reading. And he said something. He said, oh, it's okay. And it's almost like he patted me on my head and sent me away. (laughs) (laughs) Don't kill her. She abuses me. Yes, absolutely. (laughs) This dumb child abuses me. (laughs) (laughs) I know. So books have been amazing to me. And I'll just throw one more out there that I'm in love with. I am a huge fan of Robert Greene, 48 Laws of Power. And I love what he did with 50 Cent with the 50th law. I'm a huge fan. Huge fan. Is it green with an E at the end or no? It is. It's green oh. with an E at the end. Robert Greene. Okay, and I'll try to make sure I get that in the show Oh, absolutely. 48 Laws of Power. And then he wrote with 50 Cent as well. They did the 50th Law. And then, oh my goodness. Oh, and then I also want to listen to, I want to, oh, I could go on and on about books and I promise I'll let it go. I want to listen to Will Smith's book. I heard he read it. So I want to listen to that one. But I had to have Michelle Obama's book in my Mm. hand. I wanted to read that in my hand. And I also read Paul Mooney's book. 
Mm. Thank goodness he has passed away because I'm just being very transparent and honest here. I got to the middle of it where he started talking about Farrah Fawcett and I got bored. I was like, I don't like this book anymore. And I finished everything, but I could not finish that book. The first part of it was Mm. really good. But then he got to a point where he started talking about meeting Farrah Fawcett. And it almost seemed as though the rest of that book wasn't genuine. That, and that's just to me. But that maybe, first part of his Maybe book, he had to hit a certain word count with it and he just kind of got lost at some point. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think that latter half was just extra stuff. So yeah. I don't know. But I digress. You, you're you the one who opened that rabbit hole about books. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> But I think it's something you said earlier. It's about the flow, kind of flow with what comes in and out of your life. Even the bad things, the good things, the not so wonderful things, ask questions about them. You just never know where it might lead you to. Yeah, for sure. So trust yourself, trust, uh, trust where life's taking you. And if it sounds good, do it. Absolutely. And again, I have no clue where I'm going. Yeah, with with you know with moderation is the key. Jacqueline's not saying go out there and do heroin and no, please don't. <laughs> but if it if it if it's fulfilling, we'll, yes. we'll leave it with that. We'll leave it if it's fulfilling, do it absolutely. And if you can help someone else, do it. Yeah, yeah. Don't give in to all your basest desires. No. <laughs> well, I think I've kept you as long as I told you I would. So. Um, oh, I hope I said something. I, 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 I again, <laughs> I think we just had a wonderful conversation. Yeah, no, I, that's, that's what the show um, aims to do is just kind of have a fun conversation that highlights the the person and their creativity. And if anything else gives a, a person, you know, a nudge to do something creative, not necessarily a step-by-step how-to, you know? Okay. Yeah. Okay, good. And I, think, I think we've done that. You have been great. Um, oh, you are kind. I've enjoyed the conversation. I, I I know we're on a podcast, but I've really just enjoyed the conversation, getting to know you, getting to know more about the book, the origins of the podcast, all of your many, many children. I thought you were going to break out in the song, getting to know you. I know, right? Getting to know all about you. I know, I know. And I love the fact that you have amazing music on your podcast as well. It's very oh, well made. I'm glad that you like that. That uh, that's near and dear to me too. I love music, so oh, good. Uh, it 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 keeps me uh, it keeps me occupied when <laughs> when my brain's trying to sizzle. I just go make some music. Absolutely, and I know you're rapping, but I'm curious. What instruments do you play? The first instrument I ever learned was cello when Ooh. we were doing like elementary school, like a fourth or fifth grade strings. Yes, I did that for a year or two. Didn't like that. Then I switched to drums. Okay. I took drum lessons for a few years, played in some bands, and then um, they used to always leave their guitars at my house because yes. it was harder to move the drums. And I actually taught myself guitar, just picking up my guitarist's guitars. <laughs> and I they would it. leave them at my house overnight, and then I eventually traded a CD for a guitar. Yes. And uh, taught myself how to play that. Traded and so a can... CD for a guitar. Yeah, I remember <laughs> I traded a. I traded it was a ska band called the Suicide Machines. I traded a CD for a crappy, like, kid's nylon string guitar. But yes. on that guitar, I learned how to play along to, like, Nirvana and other kind of, like, punk rocky type songs. Absolutely. I love and, Nirvana. Uh, yeah. And it just, all my all my music kind of stemmed out of just trying to imitate sounds because I didn't really, I don't think I've had a proper lesson in music since I was probably, like, 12 or 13. But still, you can play by ear. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. I'm. I'm better than most people that are like, I know how to play the guitar. But when somebody who knows how to play the guitar picks one up, then I'm like, I'll play rhythm for you. <laughs> I like that very much. And yeah. This has been so much fun. Thank you yeah. for having me. Likewise. Thank you for being on the show. And thank you for uh, your show. I truly enjoy the show quite a bit. Uh, oh. When I'm going on my walks around the neighborhood, I, I pop that one on. So. Well, thank you again. It's us just chatting, just like you and I did. So, yeah. And um, cool. I got your information. I will get you a book. 
and uh, sign it. Don't forget to sign it. Yeah, I won't forget <laughs> to sign it. And um, I'll say goodbye to you on the show here and click a uh, click end record. But hang on for just one second. Absolutely. All right. Thank you, JG, for coming on the show. Everybody, listen to her on Roy's Job Fair. Oh, thank you. All right, everybody. That was Jacqueline Gray Miller, aka JG. I hope you liked it. I really like talking to her. Listen to Roy's Job Fair. Hit up the links. You know the deal. See you guys next week. Mwah. Yeah, man. Yeah, man. Weird, right?